For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Anthony Slater, who covers the Warriors for The Athletic, about these final two games the Warriors will play to wrap up the 2020-2021 NBA season. The Warriors get the New Orleans Pelicans Friday night, the Memphis Grizzlies on Sunday in an afternoon tilt, 1230 at Chase Center, could determine the futures of both of these teams and where they land in this playoff or play-in tournament, which begins next week. All things we can talk about with Anthony Slater, who joins me next. Today is Friday, May 14th. Always fun and informative when we can talk Warrior basketball with Anthony Slater. Of course, covers the Warriors for The Athletic. Anthony, have we learned anything in the last week about this Warrior team? Uh, Are they figuring out how to win? Do the Utah victories and the Suns victories mean anything as far as where this team can go into the postseason? How are you, man? I'm very good. Uh, What have we learned? They're a little bit more dangerous than I would have predicted couple weeks ago for sure for sure a couple months ago i think we learned that the west top one you know one and two seed are vulnerable too but am i about to predict a playoff run no first of all you know ever it's funny they beat the the suns in the jazz in a late regular season game with very low stakes generally on the line for the top seeds and people start talking about could they beat either of those two in a series? They got to get into a series with those two first. You know, they have this Sunday for the eight seed game against Memphis. Uh, and if they don't win that, and Memphis is a tough team, they are on the bad side of the play. And they'd have to beat the Spurs and then go and beat the loser would probably be Lakers Grizzlies. Now, even if they beat the Grizzlies, they're not in. They would play a Lakers team, presumably could still be uh, Portland or, or Dallas. And... They wouldn't be favored against, and then you got to go and probably beat Memphis again. So there's a lot of thorny possibilities ahead where, where yes, optimism should be reigning a bit more around the Warriors, but at the same time, I mean, their season could be over in like five days also. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That's the thing about this play-in tournament. And everybody's saying, boy, that's the team nobody wants to see. And I think part of that is because you'd be facing Steph Curry in a seven-game series, if they're able to get into a series, that could take you longer to get out of that series than maybe you would have liked in an early round. But Utah and these teams at the top right now, I mean, they went out and they lost to Portland the other night. So does this feel to you like the most maybe wide-open Western Conference we've seen in like the last 20 years? I don't know about 20 years. I'd have to almost like think year to year, but lately for sure. Although last year I didn't, I wasn't going into the playoffs believing the Lakers were some like sure thing. They kind of proved to be, we all wanted to see Lakers Clippers last year and, and the Clippers kind of melted down. But what I would say about this year's one, two seeds is they don't have the best player in a series against like almost anybody below them, which is very odd. It's like, uh, you know, uh, an topsy-turvy conference where think about if, if Utah or Phoenix is playing the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard's, you know, at least the, the most playoff proven player in that series. Denver, Nikola Jokic is about to win MVP. Dallas, Doncic, you would consider uh, the best player in either of those series. And then, you know, the 7-8, which are the two teams that they're going to beat, at this point probably look like it's going to be Lakers-Warriors. That's Steph Curry and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, if we really want to get into it on the Lakers side of it. So they might not have the two best players in a series, even though they'd be the two-seed or or the one-seed. That breaks the conference wide open. How many teams could I convince you could win the West right now? Probably like, I don't know, four of them, five of them maybe? 
yeah, I mean, that seems like the low side. And the Warriors are not one of them, by the way. Like, I'm not even like, we would like, no, that's not happening. But like, there is so many possibilities above them. Yeah, I was being conservative, but you're right. And that's a great point you make about maybe the, the top two seeds, the best players. And obviously, Jamal Murray going out was a, a big factor in that. But having the top seams up there, uh, and I'm talking Nuggets there, of course, but um, not having the best player on their roster potentially in a seven game series could be detrimental and could blow this thing open, which I think is what people are starting to talk about. You know, the prowess that Steph Curry could bring to a series like that. And people are starting to say, is this the next era or the next wave of We Believe? And Draymond Green, like, soundly shut that down the other day. thought that was kind of a funny response from him. And as a guy who grew up in the Bay Area, watching the Warriors not go to the playoffs from the time I was in kindergarten to the time I was a senior in high school, uh, this feels a lot different than We Believe. What was your thought on that take? I mean, he's right. Like, We Believe was the fact that nobody viewed the Warriors as any type of threat for, like, even the previous decade. It wasn't even just, oh, that season they didn't believe in that team. It was just like out of nowhere, out of lottery abyss. Basically, like if the Minnesota Timberwolves had a shocking run in the last two months this year, that would be kind of the equivalent of it. This is, you know, obviously very playoff tested. Two Hall of Famers kind of make up the backbone of this team. But at the same time, it's funny, like the We Believe team didn't win the title. The We Believe team won one (laughs) series and then went out, what, 4-1? I think they went out to Utah in the second round. And to me, like that's kind of probably like the cap on this Warriors team is like maybe they scare one of those top teams in the first round. Maybe they win it. You know, I wouldn't be absolutely floored if three weeks from now we're talking about like a stunning first round upset where Curry got really hot. Maybe Donovan Mitchell came back from ankle injury. just wasn't the same or, you know, something like that I could see theoretically happening. But they're a thin team. They're a short and small and kind of like slight team. And the back end of their rotation is just filled with guys who are untested in the playoffs, unproven, and really, you know, honestly, just not like normal sixth, seventh, eighth man type for like championship type contenders. So you don't go and win the playoff marathon that is like 16 playoff games spread over four series against typically increasingly tougher opponents. So they're not built for a long playoff run, but they could be built somewhat similar to we believe to to scare somebody in a bad matchup, right? That was the big thing about Dallas. It was like Nelly's small ball going against them. Nowitzki was kind of fooled by it. Weird matchup. Wasn't even good in the regular season for Dallas. And they stunned them. And then they lost in the second round. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Nelly was just kind of rolling the ball out. Like, go see what you guys can do. Go play some pickup basketball for the next week and see if we can knock this team out. So I was asking you before about, like, you know, what have we learned from this team? And I think all season long we've seen with the different personnel they've had, Steve Kerr trying to mix and match and figure out which rotations are going to work. We saw it early in the season with Wiseman. We've seen the injuries and the COVID stuff over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Damian Lee missing an extended period of time. They've been playing with eight guys and one player. Is it just Kevon Looney who's who's over six foot seven, six foot eight, something like that? So you make note of that in a piece last week. Do you think that the management of the rotation that Steve Kerr's been using with just eight guys over the last couple of weeks? has made this game plan a little simpler for him? Do you think this is a he, – he's almost managing it playoff style, right, and that he's got a smaller bench, smaller rotation, and he knows where to plug and play guys, and they've been finding success. It simplified the offensive mission, which is like all Steph all the time. There's no more Oubre out there who brings his benefits, particularly on the defensive end and just from an athleticism standpoint, but he was kind of – 
clogged up the offense and he was kind of lack of court vision. You know, it's stuff that's been discussed all year. And then obviously the pivot point of the season is the James Wiseman injury that kind of just takes the developmental prioritization away and, and, and they just attacked it with this veteran lineup that, that all kind of fits together, plays like one offensive style and versatile and aggressive defensively. It has given them an identity, and you talked about what we've learned this season. I mean, we learned Montescano Anderson is a legit NBA rotation player, and the Warriors rewarded him in that way, and now he will be on the roster on a guaranteed deal next season. I think we've learned that Andrew Wiggins is a steady defensive wing, which we did not know certainly before the season. Um, and that's that's huge for the type of style that the Warriors want to play. They kind of need, particularly with Clay Thompson coming back next season off two injuries, they need a guy who will take up bulk minutes on the best scores. Wiggins has proven he can do that. And those are two things, particularly down the stretch, I think have shown plenty. And then also Jordan Poole in year two. He's the only young guy left in this rotation. He's 21 and he's just scored 20 points in back-to-back nights against the Suns and Jazz off the bench. Like that's something. And that's something not just for this season. That's something into the future. Yeah, he's maybe the best surprise this year, the biggest surprise and, and the biggest piece outside of JTA going forward that I think they've found as, as rotational pieces you were talking about. Just sort of hitting on Ubre one more time here. Was he a bad fit? We see the skill set. We see that this guy's a guy who can be an NBA player like regularly. Obviously, he's got a short-term memory. The shooting ineffectiveness early this season didn't really phase him, it seemed like. But was this just a bad fit in general, you think? And heading into free agency, where do you think they go with him? Kind of. I Offensively, yes. I think that points a little bit away from Uber and to the stubbornness of Steve Kerr and, and, and just like the ecosystem they want in a Steph Curry offense. And, you know, also the offensive decline of Draymond Green, where he has to be out there. He has to ball handle, but he's a non-shooter that allows defenses to sag way off and kind of crunches the floor where you don't want two of those guys out there. But at the same time, Ubre didn't mesh well into that either. They were hoping for a little bit more flexibility from him to pick up stuff quicker. He stopped playing bumper cars with Steph Curry off the ball where he just kept running into him. And like, you know, he, he at least cut some of that out. And I think he got a little bit better over the course of the season. But in general, I mean, it's being proven out. Like they're just, they flow a lot better without him on the court. And as you point towards free agency and his future with the team and everything that has surrounded his season, including the fact that they pretty openly shopped him at the deadline, which can't feel too good if you're Kelly Oubre, I feel like it's pretty unlikely that he's back. Yeah, you start worrying about a guy who's played for this many teams. And I know Oklahoma City, he was just there like as a as a stop-off, as a technicality before he comes over here. But you get traded that many times, sometimes that doesn't fare well for a guy uh, who's this young early in his career. And, and I'm with you, I don't think he's back next year as he hits free agency. One more here for you, Friday night against New Orleans. Sunday, as you mentioned, against Memphis. Going to be a little afternoon game. Going to be fun to to see if that makes up the eight seed. Let's play best-case scenario. Warriors win that play-in game tournament against the seven. Let's say they get in and they're getting into a seven-game series who's the worst matchup for the Warriors you think as far as teams that are above them one through six well they're only going to play either one or two and at this point it's becoming pretty clear that one or two is going to be Utah Phoenix so then you get into a discussion of, of which of those two you would prefer the reality is they need to get in where they can get in they cannot be choosy on that but if we were just discussing who would they rather have Utah or Phoenix if you guaranteed me Utah's health, I would say Phoenix. I think Phoenix is less proven; they're less cohesive. It, it you know, Utah has playoff scars, and I and Utah feels ready to make that next step. 
and Donovan Mitchell is had made a leap this season. And Rudy Gobert, I think it's overrated this idea that he gets played off the floor. Like, yeah, he wasn't great in a past series against the Dynasty Warriors, but I'm not sure many people were ever great in in series against them. And and they're 31 and four at home. It, it just seems to me like almost impossible that they're going to go into Utah and win a game. But at the same time, the reason why I mentioned health at the beginning of the question is Donovan Mitchell hasn't played I think now for like three weeks, almost a month. He's going to miss the rest of the regular season with a sprained ankle. I don't know how healthy he's going to be to start the series and Mike Conley's had these persistent hamstring injuries that kind of throw into question his status if suddenly those guys either might not play or might be hobbled they might be in and out of the series like that's a lot more of a wounded Utah team that suddenly maybe that is the preferred matchup but again the truth is they got to get in and then open their eyes and see who they're facing Get in where you fit in. It's just the way it works out. If they can win these next two, and uh, and they'll make sure that'll happen if they win that play-in game. Anthony, thanks for keeping it in perspective for us, man. Thanks for all your coverage all season long, and we'll catch up with you again around free agency time, man. All right, thanks for having me. Should be a fun one tonight. It all gets started against the Pelicans, and that's a game that the the Warriors have got to have. I think most people are, are calling this a victory and that it could all come down to Sunday. Uh, and I always think about the Memphis Grizzlies and the Warriors squaring off on the final day of the season. If I recall correctly, that was the final matchup for the Warriors in their 73-9 and season. So could get a couple of notches in their belt against the Memphis Grizzlies in the last couple of years. So should be a fun one tonight. Should be a fun one on Sunday. Thank you to Anthony. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We love bringing you the best stories in Bay Area sports, though. This next story, not a great story, but one we've got to talk about. Marcus Thompson, senior writer at The Athletic, going to join me on Monday talking about this Oakland A's stadium situation, whether or not they'll be playing in Oakland. Don't forget Marshawn Lynch's comments. You lost the Warriors, you lost the Raiders, you best not lose the A's. Oakland staring that in the face as we speak right now. All things we'll talk about with Marcus Thompson, who joins me on Monday. But until then, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you next week.